This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Tuesday afternoon, May 30th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. A new survey tracks where people stand on dining out this summer. We'll cover that in the latest on restaurant surcharges in our next segment. But right now, it's a big week for economic data, including the latest on home prices and the government jobs report for May. Let's get a preview from Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and Economic Futurist at AndrewBush.com. Andy, thank you for joining us today. The jobs report comes out for the month of May on Friday morning. What happens or how does this change Fed policy if that jobs report meets or exceeds expectations? Is it the jobs number itself or is it the uh, the, 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 the amount of money people are making, the, an increase in pay? Well, wages are always a a key component. Um, We'll get some of that data out um, later this week, obviously. But I think the thing is, is what we're looking at with that data overall is the resiliency of the U.S. economy to 500 basis points with the rate tightening uh, by the Fed. Uh, The Fed's surprised by that. I think the markets are surprised by that. Um, People keep hiring. That's great news overall. Um, We had a million jobs created in the first four months of the year probably a million too uh, after this number. But I think as far as people looking at the Fed and what they're doing, it's just the economy keeps moving along. Consumer spending keeps happening. Businesses keep making investments, despite the fact that interest rates are as high as they are. And uh, let's take a look at another uh, sector of the economy that is uh, interest rate sensitive, and that is the housing sector. And it seems like the worst may be over as far as the decline in housing prices is concerned, at least as far as the uh, S&P Case-Shiller Index is concerned. Yeah, I think you have to bifurcate this or cut out the you know uh, real estate overall in the sense that single-family homes have been underperforming and really been hurt by the dramatic cost increase of buying a home, whether it's the down payment, the price itself, or the interest rate. So that's one sector that we know that's hurting. But, but multifamily homes is doing really well. We're going to see a lot more of that Uh, A a lot more of those homes come on the market really soon. Um, Also, um, like industrial commercial real estate is just doing great as companies are taking advantage of the uh, reshoring that's going on in the United States with all the subsidies from the Inflation Reduction Act and the Chips and Science Act, which, you know, encourages companies to move their chip facilities here. So there's some good things that are going on overall. It's just not going to be in single family homes. They bounced from really low levels as far as prices go, but they're not going to go up anytime soon. One word or two words that we've been hearing from the Fed uh, throughout the tightening cycle is data dependent. That is uh, (laughs) what they are going to base their decisions on. But I think just from people who are interpreting the data and arguing over its meaning, is there are are you arriving at a point where maybe there's just a too much information and that could uh, impact their decision making the fed well i i think they won't have um they won't stall out on what they're doing i think as they look at the data that keeps coming in and the resiliency of the u.s economy they're going to have a hard decision in june like next week when they meet to raise interest rates on the 14th 
you know, will they pause? Will they do it another 25 basis points? We're really close on the edge here on what they're going to do. I would say this. There's no harm in pausing, but um, inflation has not come off at the pace that they want to. And inflation is just such a terrible virus on the economy. They really need to get it under control or it gets built into what you were asking about earlier, which is wages. And and those have not come off significantly. Wage uh, tracker index by the Atlanta Federal Reserve is running at 6%. So just as an example, and I'm hearing anecdotally from a bunch of different companies, hey, we can't make that. We can't make that up. We can't meet that for a lot of our employees and still be profitable. Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission based in Chicago. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Restaurants are expecting a strong summer, but consumers may not be in a dining out mood. Meantime, those going out to eat are still dealing with surcharges that popped up during the pandemic. We welcome in Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality based in Chicago. Doug, thank you for joining us today. Uh, in, in general, as far as the entire restaurant industry is concerned, uh, has business gone back to where it was pre-pandemic, or is there still some room to run? I think there's still some room to run, but we're getting really close. Uh, I think what's happened is that there's sort of a barbell effect. What I mean by that is the restaurants that do it well are doing really well. And prior to that, if you were a restaurant that was just doing okay prior to the pandemic, um, you, you were skating along because the economy was really in a, in a very, very great position. I think today those restaurants are the ones that are starting to feel it. And then uh, there were a lot of places that uh, closed down either during the pandemic or shortly afterwards. They opened in 2020 and then just couldn't make a go of it. We talked about it last week uh, with the uh, the Cooper's Hawk on the Gold Coast. And yes. is this a case, though, where the, the, the places that uh, did manage to persevere through the pandemic are uh, taking advantage of reduced competition? Or is the number of openings made up for the ones that went away? I think there's probably, if not uh, the same, more openings that are occurring. Uh, same thing actually uh, happened after Katrina uh, down in New Orleans. And it's the fact that, that people are seeing where more and more uh, people are coming to restaurants than I believe that is out there in some of the written material that's coming out. I think that that's not accurate. I think what's happening is, is that uh, most restaurants right now are, are feeling still that uh, post-pandemic um, uh uh, glee, so to speak. And uh, we're going to see a pretty good summer. Uh, and also, let's remember, too, that outdoor cafe season has been extended. So that's another revenue opportunity as well. And, and we're talking about uh, inflation, obviously, every day on the noon business hour. It weighs on the minds of everybody. And maybe it's weighing on the minds of people when they sit down at a table and when they get their bill. Is is there any indication that maybe it's pushing people away or are restaurant patrons merely spending through it? Um, I think generally they're spending through it. I, th- I think that they know it's there. They recognize it. Uh, they, they've taken notice in, in a, that context. I think where you really see it is in some of the higher end steakhouses. Uh, I'm you know seeing $85, $90 for a six-day ounce filet. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Uh, but generally... Uh, in restaurants, you know, there's there's some creeping that's going on as far as pricing, but uh, I think people are are, are putting up with it. And um, again, 
I think that we'll be seeing a strong season. And then what's the state of surcharges? Uh, a lot of them put in place after the pandemic, uh, some with technology that asks you to provide a gratuity where you weren't asked before. What are what, What's the state of the restaurant consumer about uh, increased tipping opportunities and also uh, restaurant surcharges? Well, we actually had a discussion at one point uh, a while back about surcharges, and, and that really gets me upset. Um, I have to say that there was one that, that most recently was, and get this one, that they were doing 3% increase based on the fact that there was a need to maintain their culinary standards. What, what does that mean? I mean, I mean, prior to that, that they weren't maintaining culinary standards? I mean, it just is an absolutely ridiculous thing. Uh, and I, you know, I, I really find the surcharges to be something if you want to increase them and you want to provide for people as far as their health benefits, and things of that sort buried in the price. It's 3%. Don't nickel and dime me. Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. One fairly simple way to help keep your finances in order is through organization. Let's get some direction from Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. Ed, thank you for joining us today. And when when you really do sit down and try to get all of your stuff in order, various accounts, retirements accounts, this, that, and the other thing, uh, you may be surprised at the amount of uh, material that's just out there that you have to keep track of. You know, Rob, working very closely with clients on this, this is one of the key areas that we stress to clients, which is which is basically financial efficiency and financial efficiency through clients. Because just one example per se is, let's say, you know, clients who have gone from one job to the next job to the next job. And they may be leaving behind 401ks or 403bs, and we often like to refer to these as financial breadcrumbs. And what a very simple, easy way to kind of roll all these old 401ks into your most newest uh, working environment is just one really quick way for your listeners to be financially organized because ultimately you want to keep things as simple and straightforward as possible, especially if something negative happens in the markets, you're not having to think about going back and all the passwords and everything else. So yeah, financial efficiency is really important for, for your listeners as well as our clients. For account holders, is there a one-stop shop or a place to go where you can plug in your social security number and then all of your accounts come back, or is that an idea that is uh, yet to be utilized? Yeah, so for for, uh, DIY individuals, right, there's a number of different platforms. Mint is one that comes to mind where, you know, you can basically put in all of your information and have basically a dashboard. And that's kind of one way of getting these things consolidated. But again, importantly, Rob, physically getting these things consolidated is much more important than having 15 different accounts all tied into sort of one dashboard, if you would. But again, being able to see that big snapshot picture in sort of a one page is a really good idea. And this just doesn't apply to retirement accounts uh, from different jobs you may have had. It can also help you in the here and now, especially when it comes to budgeting. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about, you know, savings, right? So typically younger individuals don't have multiple bank accounts, let's say that our depression era clients used to have. So they tend to keep that simple. But, you know, think about it from like what people have subscribed to. That's sort of another way of looking at this from an organizational, just not the asset side, is where is your money going to? Like, 9.99 9.99 here or 4.99 here all those different elements as well there's a lot of really cool technologies again that will help you with that in terms of understanding you know where are all these nickels and dimes going to on a, on an automatic basis Ed Jertson, Certified Financial Planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. Find him online at EngageWealthGroup.com. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, how inflation is having an impact on summer trips. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A manhunt in the southwest suburbs results in the capture of several burglary suspects. There are differing views of a reported drone attack in Russia's capital city. Travel Tuesday, tough economic conditions are having an effect on people's plans for the summer. And a longtime East Coast lawyer sees a case compromised by bad information from a chatbot. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed right now. The Dow is down 155 points. The Nasdaq up 25, S&P 500 down 3.5. 87 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies, topping out at 88. Cooler by the lakefront, it's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, a shelter-in-place order has been lifted in Joliet now that several burglary suspects are in custody. Joliet Police Sergeant Dwayne English says it began around 5 o'clock this morning when his department was asked to help other law enforcement agencies after two stolen cars were spotted driving near Black Road in Juni Court. The stolen vehicles were both Chrysler 300s. One was gray, one was black. It is our understanding that one of the vehicles was stolen out of Lockport. When officers stopped the cars, the four occupants ran away, leading to an hours-long manhunt involving police drones and canines. Two men from Chicago and a teenager were taken into custody. Police say the fourth suspect may no longer be in the area. Authorities believe the group is wanted in connection with a number of car thefts and burglaries throughout the western and northern suburbs. It's still unclear who was behind the latest drone attack on Moscow. CBS News correspondent Cammie McCormick reports. The White House says it's still gathering information, and a State Department spokesman says as a general matter, the U.S. does not support attacks inside Russia, but remains focused on providing Ukraine with the equipment and training it needs to retake its territory. The official also noted today was Russia's 17th round of airstrikes on the Ukrainian capital. The drone attack in Moscow caused some light damage and for some evacuations from residential buildings. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. The markets are mixed today. We're joined by Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director with Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Jim, thank you for joining us today. The market performance is a little bit of a surprise to me. I was kind of anticipating a relief rally based on the debt ceiling deal that was reached over the weekend. Well, we still have to go through a hurdle at 3 o'clock today where the House Rules Committee 
uh, has to agree to send it to the to the full house, and you're getting some re- resistance from the Freedom Caucus. So it's 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 uh, it's it's believable that the markets would hesitate in front of that. But in addition, uh, the, the the good news is the economy is doing better than expected. Profits are doing better than expected, and and the bad news is that's going to bring higher interest rates. We had thought a month ago that the Fed was basically done. And it's becoming apparent now that you're going to get one or two more rate increases. And the worry is, what will that do to the economy? And what will that do to stock valuation? So we have a very complex set of variables here. And I would say it probably speaks to a lot of volatility without a lot of change in stock prices over the next month or two. The Federal Open Market Committee is called the Open Mouth Committee by many wags. And uh, are there open mouths by members of the FOMC? Are they kind of tipping their hand about their uh, their thoughts on the next uh, uh, bit of Fed policy, whether they raise interest rates or hold? Yeah, well, Powell seems to be indicating that he he would favor a, a pause, uh, but there are several others who want at least one or two more rate increases. So I think you're going to have a very spirited discussion, and it's very possible that when they announce whatever their decision is, it's not going to be unanimous. Uh, but I would say if, if, if I were a betting man and I had to say either pause or increase, I would say the evidence is increased, but you have two important data points coming up. You have the payrolls on Friday and then inflation numbers next week. And I think how they go will tip the balance one way or the other. Now, we do have a couple of things uh, working in our favor. When I say our favor, the American consumer uh, who either has to deal with inflation or higher interest rates, and that is the price of gas seems to be coming down, especially compared to a year ago. So that's one bit of inflationary pressure that appears to have evaporated. And one other thing that's that, that kind of is popping out in some of these employment reports is that the wage pressure are easing a little bit. Easing a little bit, but not a lot. If you look at the uh, uh, the Atlanta Fed wage, wage measure in April, it went from 6.2 to 6.1. So on the inflation side, we've done the easy work. We've gone from 9.10 to 5-ish, uh, and now it's going to be a long climb down to the 2 or 3 rate uh, that uh, actually the Fed says too. We'll see whether they mean it when we, when we get to three, but it's going to be a long climb, a long gradual climb down uh, from here. But directionally, inflation is definitely going in the right direction. So you know you have an economy that's a little stronger than expected. Interest rates are going to go up a little bit more. Uh, profits that are going to be much better than the bears had uh, provided, uh, which gives you and a market that's that's basically done better than expected, which means it's no longer cheap. There, any way you cut it, the market is basically where it should be, and it should uh, it should basically, with some volatility, stay around here for a month or two until we can get a look at the uh, third and fourth quarter in terms of economic activity and profits. The one thing we ought to measure is that uh, all of the gain in the S&P this year is seven stocks. And that if you take the equal weighted average stock, it's, it's actually unchanged for the year. So it's a little worrying that so much of the market gain has been driven by such a, a small number of stocks centered around artificial intelligence, which is a great long-term story. But you, you, you've got, the market must become more egalitarian 
to be healthy going forward. Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, Clearstead Advisors, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, the impact of inflation on vacations. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday. Inflation is impacting many areas of life, and that includes travel. Let's talk about some of the changes happening this summer because of economic conditions with Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com, based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. You know, after being cooped up for portions of 2020 and uh, 2021, you're finally thinking about taking that uh, dream vacation that you've been fantasizing about with your family. But then you look at the sticker price and then you say to yourself, we have to make some changes. That seems to be a common experience for a lot of people these days. Absolutely. I think a key theme here is that people are still traveling. In fact, Our survey projects more summer travelers this year than last. The TSA numbers from Memorial Day weekend were very strong. In fact, last Friday was the busiest air travel day since the pandemic. So people are definitely traveling, but as you said, they're adapting. So 80% are making changes due to inflation. They're picking cheaper accommodations, cheaper activities. Maybe they're traveling for fewer days or driving instead of flying. People want to go somewhere, but they're willing to cut some corners to save money. And on top of that, I mean, first off, even if you have to to modify your vacation plan somewhat uh, and go from Paris, France to Paris, Texas, uh, you, you, you will have a good time pretty much wherever you go. Like unless you're uh, planning to rent an Airbnb in a former, you know, A-bomb testing rage in Utah, you're going to be okay. I think a key point in here is use your vacation time. We found... Last year, only about a third of people with paid vacation time used all of it. Uh, In fact, a similar number, also about a third, used no more than half of it. So that, I think, is actually a serious issue. A lot of people letting a lot of time go unused. There are plenty of options. You could do a staycation. You could cash in some rewards points or miles. You could maybe zig when others zag. Maybe go somewhere in the off-season or the shoulder season or fly midweek instead of on the weekend. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can save. One other thought is let the deal dictate the destination. Like if you're not that picky, you just want to go somewhere that has a nice beach, well, shop around. Find, you know, which place has cheaper accommodations or cheaper flights. That could be a good way to go. And then when it comes to uh, uh, certain uh, things like cruises or just airline travel in general, uh, are, are there deals to be found anywhere or should you just accept the fact that because so many people are traveling and a lot of these destinations happen to be popular, that uh, prices are going to stay elevated for quite some time? It's hard to find a deal this year. Demand is definitely strong. Supply is still constrained. People are paying these higher prices. A few thoughts. One would be on the international front, the strong dollar helps. I mean, it's not a total deal just because this is really the first post-pandemic summer for international travel. I feel like last year people were feeling better domestically. Internationally, there were still a lot of restrictions. Now that those have come down, Demand is high, prices are high, but maybe the strong dollar helps. Domestically, I've heard that national parks could be cheaper this year, kind of the reverse of the pandemic theory, which was everybody wanted to go there to be away from cities and people. 
I feel like now the pendulum has swung the other way. People are more comfortable with crowds, maybe not as likely as the past few years to go to a national park. Um, but again, it, it's all relative. I mean, everything is expensive this year. And if your eyes pop out of your head when you do that uh, airline fare search, uh, maybe you're just better off driving to your destination. Driving instead of flying is a good tip. Yup, gas prices have come down. Don't forget about the staycation either. I mean, I think if nothing else, play tourist in your local area. Chicago is a great example. I mean, there's tons of great things you can do. Don't let that vacation time go unused. If nothing else, do a staycation, relax, recharge, spend some time with family and friends. That sounds pretty nice to me. Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, an artificial intelligence error impacts a court case. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. An experienced lawyer in New York has been burned by artificial intelligence. Let's talk about it with Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thank you for joining us today. And this this seems like a plot line from L.A. Law. Um, <laughs> a, a lawyer turns to chat GPT to uh for to, to to find legal citations in a brief in a personal injury case and chat gpt comes back with a bunch of made-up precedent yes well um it sounds like my life too by the way uh, i went out to chat gpt um not not the legal part just for for clarity but i went out and tried to find out uh, information about myself and it turns out that I have won three Emmy Awards, um, at least as far as ChatGPT is concerned. Turns out also in the fact I have not won three Emmy Awards. Uh, I've been on a lot of TV, but apparently I didn't do well enough to earn those Emmys. Chat, however, thinks uh, alternately. And, of course, this attorney came up against the same problem. Uh, this attorney who was hired uh, by somebody who was suing an airline for injuries he said he got from a serving cart. Um, the attorney representing him, who's up 30 years of experience, uh, in, licensed in New York, uh, came, went and checked out for, for citations, as you just said. Hey, listen, is there legal precedent for suing an, an airline in this situation for this kind of damage? And ChatGPT assured him that, yes, here, in fact, cited numbers of cases, the names, where you could find those cases in, in, uh, in filings and so forth. And the attorney said, are you sure? Literally followed up with ChatGPT and said, are you really sure? And ChatGPT, to quote ChatGPT, said, yes. It's a real case. So, uh, you know, okay, well, I'm like, sounds to me like my. Furthermore, my, my it said, what are you going to yeah. do? Fire me? <laughs> exactly. And by the way, what are you charging me? Because your hourly rate is way too low. Anyway, but the point is that what, this is really a very important lesson for anybody. And that is that no matter how much reassurance you get from the engine itself, from the uh, machine learning device called ChatGPT itself, you cannot be assured. We are all now editors. We are all now, uh, basically, we're judges, judging about the information, the quality of the information that comes back. That's the only thing. ChatGPT is fantastic in many cases, saves tons of time, but really you cannot trust it until you apply your own knowledge. Okay, very quickly, let's talk about the, uh, the, the promise, the pitfalls of AI, where you have the tech industry saying, uh, AI is here and you, pitiful human, should just go find a cave to go hide in, versus the reality, which is Lionel Hutz uh, getting bad information from ChatGPT. Exactly. You know what? I think that there's a, probably a, a blend of those two facts are, are what we should be confronting. In other words, that's the reality. The reality is we should hide a little 
Uh, but then we should come out of that hole and remember that we are sentient human beings. And for the time being, when that information comes back from this engine, um, we are still fully capable of deciding what part of this new world we fit in. Uh, and it's a, it's a fact that ChatGPT saves time, but it does not yet replace the knowledge you've gleaned over years and, and expertise. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us today.